and we are recording with Dr. Roger Hodkinson, who got me my first ever strike on YouTube about a year and a half ago. And uh, we've been banned from YouTube for about a year. And at some point during this episode, Dr. Robert Malone might be poking his head in. But uh, for all future listeners, today is Wednesday, August 17th, 2022 at 2.01 p.m. Eastern Time. This is episode 885. And Dr. Rod, uh, Dr. Hodkinson is here to uh, speak to us about the the new the new uh, the new terror pandemic of monkeypox. What it is? Should we be scared of it? Obviously, it's a real thing, much like COVID is a real thing. But is this something to be actually uh, scared about? And uh, well, we shouldn't really be scared about anything because nobody lives forever. But is this just another pandemic? Is this just another reason for lockdowns? It seems that the the uh, high-value contracts are already being doled out. Emergency use uh, purchases are already being made by world governments. So the money machine is rolling already. Dr. Hodkinson, what say you? Well, um, a couple of things. Um, monkeypox has been around for a number of years. Um it's a it's a, a squirrel virus that uh, got into the um, the monkey population in West Africa, and then got got into humans because they do eat monkeys um, over there. And um, it's been around for quite some time. What's different this year is that there's been a significant increase in the number of cases. Now, you have to ask yourself. How can this be? Um, you know, what factors could be causing this? And of course, the most likely explanation is that the general immune suppression that we know this um, vaccine therapy, um, this gene therapy, we know the general immune suppression that's occurring um, is causing the emergence of infections that were pre previously chronic or dormant, such as shingles, for example such as Bell's palsy, although we don't know the cause of that yet. Um, and it, it's an example, I think, of the number of these. Of course, monkeypox is almost exclusively 99% a condition of male homosexuals. Um, this is not a purgative comment, comment. It's simply an observation. And, of course, many of those men um, would be HIV positive, now, the stats are not in yet as to the prevalence of HIV positive uh, positivity in the men who are getting money, monkeypox. But we know that HIV, of course, is a, a condition of immune suppression. Uh, we know that the gene therapy for COVID is a mechanism of profound um, immune suppression. And so we have uh, a perfect storm. And that is probably the explanation why monkeypox is now emerging in larger numbers than it did previously. So could we reasonably predict that there will also be, or there already also is, are other infectious diseases that are normally, uh, normally exist below, I guess, the public consciousness uh, threshold level that will be occurring after monkeypox and then something after that? or are already occurring, but monkeypox is either the most numerically significant or simply the chosen one by the media. Do you think that that could be a case, and is that oh, going to be addressed? 
Yeah, Tommy, it's already happening. Um, the emergence of polio again um, with the attenuated virus, which um, which um, was previously, you know, um, not getting transmitted or or with, with certainly not a public health problem. Um, you know, we're, we're seeing the general emergence of infections, of which monkeypox, polio are relatively minor examples. The the much bigger problem is the um, is the emergence of other more unusual infections, you might say, in people who've been vaccinated, and particularly, of course, with COVID itself. I mean, the bizarre thing about this this gene therapy is that um, you know it's intended to stop you getting it and and being infected by it, whereas it's actually doing the opposite. You know, we're now seeing categorical evidence that the uh, hospitalization and deaths due to COVID are occurring predominantly in the vaccinated, not in the unvaccinated. And that's after correcting, obviously, for the prevalence issue that there are a lot fewer people who've been unvaccinated. When you correct for that and express it on a per 100,000 basis, um, there's an overwhelming increase in in covid infections in the vaccinated uh, as the much bigger um uh, evidence of immune suppression and um so I've had uh, sorry a... sorry tommy let me if i may yeah. just extend that argument um for those people that haven't heard me say this before uh, the immune system is there to identify anything that's not you Bugs are not you, and when the immune system is suppressed, bugs get the upper hand, as I described. But the immune system is all, also has a very important role in identifying and knocking off very small cancers that don't develop into something that kills you, and you don't know about it. It's the immune system is surveilling your body every second of every day when you're asleep, when whatever, whatever, every nook and cranny, identifying these tiny, tiny cancers and knocking them off. And that is another explanation for um, another example of the immune suppression um, causing this significant increase in cancer uh, in people who've been vaccinated. Um, uh, so I've interviewed a, a couple times Dr. Uh, Dr. Alex Diaz. He's a friend of Dr. McCullough's. I think he was uh, in, I think he was in charge of like all southern border immigration health checks for a number of years. Um, and he's been following monkeypox closely and he texted me yesterday that uh so he this was yesterday he said quote yesterday's numbers of monkeypox were 31,799 cases worldwide today is 36,589 so it's escalating exponentially so regardless of if it is just fearmongering or if it is something or if it you know if it's a natural uptake in the, I guess, virulence of monkeypox, or if it is indeed uh, vaccine immunodeficiency acquired, should it be something that the, I'm not vaccinated, so I don't, I don't give a shit, but for the average guy or girl or whatever that is vaccinated, should they still be concerned that? No. Okay. No. Right. No. Uh, from all accounts, um, 
the um, transmission requires close contact with people with these pustules, abscesses, um, exchange of bodily fluids, um, et cetera, et cetera. The real danger is this, and this is why Paul Alexander has been beating this drum vigorously for the last month, and the CDC has only just got on board. The big concern is we don't want monkeypox jumping into the heterosexual community. And the way way it would do that would be if bisexuals in contact with homosexuals are the, the, the door through which this enters the heterosexual community. And as Paul Alexander was saying, you know, the 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 solution to this in a, from a public health perspective is very, very simple. Um, all that would be required would be for male homosexuals to abstain from sexual contact of any kind for a period of three weeks, which would stop the the epidemic as it is now. It's not a pandemic. It would stop the epidemic in its tracks. Uh, that does not seem to be happening, and that, of course, you could call that irresponsible behavior. However, um, for the average individual, shaking hands, hugging, whatever, kissing um, in a heterosexual relationship, the likelihood of contracting mon- monkeypox must be infinitesimally low at this time. And that's before, of course, the introduction of the vaccine, which um, might have some impact on the um, the incidence. Yeah, I don't really see anybody refraining from sexual contact for three weeks. And as you said earlier, that's not a purgative comment at homosexuals. That's homosexuals are guys, and I don't see guys refraining voluntarily from sexual contact. I mean, we couldn't. Nobody, uh, nobody adequately, myself included, followed any sort of uh, reasonable or respectable lockdown measures for COVID. I don't see anyone stopping for something more impulsive than a sex drive, especially in a, a healthy male. And if so, to me, if if the concern is that so we have this lowered threshold of uh, I guess immune operation capabilities through the vaccine. I would say then it's not if the concern is that it 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 travels via uh, active bisexuals from a homosexual relationship, homosexual intercourse to heterosexual intercourse, then then it could go horizontally between heterosexual partners. Right. I wouldn't say that if that's the concern, then it wouldn't be if it's just when it's just I mean, sheer numbers, just probability. It's not if it's when. Right. I mean, that I feel like that's a that's a pretty reasonable statement well, it's, it's just a, a general public health principle of containment this is uh, yeah, just but... because this because this is involving the homosexual community with all the political implications of identifying it with that community um it's really no different from containment of any other kind of transmissible disease for example smallpox you know you 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 had rigorous containment yeah um Obviously, this isn't anywhere near, near as lethal. It's not killing. It's not killing people. It's it's a transient illness that yeah. is unpleasant. 
uh, in many respects, but it, it doesn't actually kill people. Yeah. But containment is a is a fundamental public health policy. Yeah. Well, again, I, I don't really. It have to be something. This is me, you know, with my forty years experience of being a public health of, official. Is uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm clearly talking out of my ass. Uh, the only thing that's changed between the first episode of you coming on and the, this episode is I have a better camera. I'm no more of a doctor, but well, you, you've got a new hairstyle, Tommy. You, you, it's you called a, it's actually called laziness. I just haven't been cutting it. You don't look forty-ish at all. Um, uh, it's a uh, well, that's part of my my public relations campaign. That's the problem Fauci had is he looked creepy. I have a whole PR team. They say that grow the hair out. They say, don't wear a white coat, wear a black shirt, throws them for a loop. It's not Fauci. It's Kerrigan. It's a little stronger. It's a little more abrupt. You know, I got that. I don't have that shitty Italian thing going. I got the, I got the white Irish blue eyes, the easy target. They'll call him a Nazi. They won't focus on his medical. It's got a whole team behind it. It's well thought out. That was your opening, Tommy, which you've missed to um, comment on the fact that I don't look anything like 78. No, you don't. You Thank actually you. don't. Thank I didn't know you're 78. Thank you're 78. That was a little bit late, Tommy. But I'll I didn't know you're 78. I genuinely didn't know you're 78. I'm not kissing your ass. Holy shit! <laughs> I, you were like I don't know, 70, 71. So um, you you're halfway, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, but the point is, is even though not being a doctor, I feel like I was born in 1990, so I don't. <sighs> I don't remember it, but I mean, I feel like unless it is something like AIDS where the result is death and that's just talking as a human, right? You know, if you say uh, the importance of, I don't know, checking the oil in your engine, I don't really give a shit. Okay. A light comes on the dashboard. I'll turn it off. The importance of wearing a seatbelt is death. And so like, I'll do that as a average human, right? That's the kind of the thing that I know wear a seatbelt. The, the light comes on in the airplane, wear a seatbelt. If you hit turbulence, you fly up, you'll break your neck on the ceiling. Noted. So unless it's something like AIDS, where the consequence is death, right? Even, I mean, even even just, you know, if someone right now is like, oh, you'll get herpes, a college-age male doesn't really care. They're a drunk, a drunk, horny frat guy doesn't care, whatever. If the consequence is death, right, even the craziest frat guy knows even the dumbest, craziest frat friends I had knew never to take a painkiller while drinking because the consequence was death. Nobody cared about doing coke while drinking. You'll get arrested, whatever. They don't care. So unless the, consequ unless the consequence is death, I don't see anyone practicing any sort of respectable medical containment. Well, being, you know what I'm saying? Another way of expressing that as, as a pathologist is... <laughs> um, <laughs> Life, life, life is not about delaying death. Life is about living. Yeah, and it's up to each of us to balance those risks of daily life and uh, enjoy our time here, which um, is unfortunately very short. Well, and but to me, you're see, I come out and I say it, I say it in a brutal, vulgar manner, and then Doctor Hodkinson is the cleanup crew. He comes out and says it in a medical in a medical uh, mature manner. But even that's kind of supporting my point, right? I'm 30, I'm I'm 32 now. If I'm 32, I'm heterosexual, but if I'm homosexual, I'm looking up the risks of monkeypox and I'm going, ah, it just, you know, it's kind of gross and it probably it's painful, but I'm not going to die. Yeah, I, I don't care. I'm just going to go about my day. 
is yeah, but but I think I think there's also has to be recognition of the societal responsibility for that group. Um, it's a, a temporary it will be only a temporary intervention. And uh, what we're desperately trying to avoid here is escaping into the heterosexual community, which would be then a much a much bigger problem. And right now, there's not much evidence of that. Uh, those children that came down with it must have been in close contact with with people, adults with it. Um, but the, there's been no no obvious heterosexual transmission at this time. But it, Paul Alexander's concern is very real. Mm-hmm. That it um, it can be contained, and and CDC has now come out with that essential guidance as well, um, and it's it's very prudent, uh, it's very temporary, it, it's not a massive intrusion into life, and it would be for each male homosexual to make his own decision. So, do you think that? And now again, this is speculating wildly, but. Um... I don't think it's really wild speculation because I'm kind of just using patterns from I'm kind of just using patterns from COVID, which was just two years. ago. It's like uh, right when we started invading Iraq, you can hear a lot of a lot of my a lot of friends, a lot of guys my age who served, uh, you know, in combat in Iraq and Afghanistan. A lot of them had fathers who served and a lot of those fathers warned that this was another Vietnam and it wasn't a random statement because it was based on actual experience vietnam this is a quagmire don't start it and sure enough that's what it became so i don't think it's that absurd to try to draw conclusions from COVID, especially when it was just two years ago and we're already seeing a lot of the same patterns sort of echoing you're just replacing COVID with monkeypox to go from there like you said the political ramifications of it being a primarily homosexually transmitted disease do you think that it will it won't be until it is amongst the heterosexual population that will be addressed more that the media will maybe beat the drum more do you, is it that it's right now is it that it's too it's too touchy and volatile of a thing no one wants to criticize it no one wants to point it out because it is primarily between homosexual males it, could that be I, the case I, I suspect the the incidence of it will continue to increase and then level off when the vaccine which is apparently pretty effective when the vaccine starts um, being administered to a significant number of people in that community then i think that will that will probably be the end of it um you know it, it's it's yet another in the grand scheme of things to people that really don't understand um the condition it's it, it's really another layering on of the the fear strategy um, that has been so effective at dividing us all and making us lose trust in each other and, and institutions. Um, you know, the biggest lesson to come out of COVID, uh, well, there are a few lessons, but perhaps the, the, the biggest lesson is that um, these interventions had one common um, conclusion, and that was the loss of trust yeah. at every level within a family, within a workplace, within government, with the courts, with the church, even um, loss of trust that the people that you relied upon historically to be uh, your protector and you know good solid um, you know um, 
documentation of evidence uh, that's gone out of the window and and because of that let, let me just say something here um, yeah. personally tommy i was on a podcast listening uh, intently yesterday to dr wakefield who has been widely denounced as a heretic because of his association his associating the triple vaccine in children from mumps rubella and chickenpox with um with with autism mm -hmm. now i i trashed him historically as as some kind of quack mm -hmm. but now you have to ask yourself hello robert hi roger and tommy i apologize uh we don't, had uh, don't placed apologize. this as a tomorrow call not a today call oh that's I, that's probably my bad then i've been actually been i've been doing that all week so if if that's my fault, I apologize, but don't apologize. We're, we're talking about monkeypox. Um, Dr. Hawkinson, I just, I, I don't know if you guys have met Dr. Hawkinson, Dr. Malone, Dr. Malone, this is we Dr. Have. Hawkinson. Okay. All right. Well, all right, I'm the idiot. Uh, so we were, we were talking about obviously monkeypox and uh, kind of the transmission of it. And uh, really, I guess the, the, I guess the core of what we've been saying is what Dr. Alexander was saying um, is the fear is that it will jump from homosexuals through bisexuals to heterosexuals. Uh, Dr. Hodgkinson said earlier that this is a symptom of the uh, globally reduced immune systems from the vaccine and that we are going to see uh, uh, diseases that were normally below the threshold of being in the public eye will start to rise into the public eye. And my question to I guess both of you, but I guess to Dr. Malone, because you're here now, is is this something to be concerned about? Or is this a simple money grab because we are seeing the same patterns that we just saw two years ago of uh really of money is what it the money, the vaccines, the emergency purchases by governments in mass regardless if it works, regardless of the lethality, regardless of the fear-mongering, and obviously the misinformation suppressing will be coming. Do you think that this is simply a money grab, or is this indeed the real deal that we should all be terrified of? So my answer is going to be uh, basically all of the above. Um, uh, let's start with the because you rolled out a bunch of things there. See if I can keep it well in my brain uh, while I try to answer them. Uh, the uh, transmission issue. We, it's long been known that monkeypox or whatever they're going to call it now, uh, after it, uh, they rename it, and you heard what Tucker Carlson's uh, group uh, recommends. Um, so you know that there's a, an effort underway now to rename it and the WHO is taking recommendations. Um, uh, and I'll just leave it at that. If you're not aware, your your viewers can hunt down what Tucker's audience has has uh, suggested. All right. um, uh, it's long been known that this uh, pox virus, which is uh, only named monkey pox because of the circumstance of it having first been detected in a colony, of non-human primates, uh, but it's uh, more common uh, indigenous host is uh, rodents in Africa. Uh, and the uh, pouched rat uh, importation in the United States that was responsible for the prior outbreak that spread into uh, 
um, the prairie dog population, which are also susceptible, kind of underscores that. I guess people brought over pouched rats from Africa as pets. I, I have trouble wrapping my head around that. Um, but uh, so we do have this prior outbreak. Like all pox viruses, uh, contact, um, particularly with uh, the uh, lesions, which are uh, loaded with uh, serous fluid plus uh, a pox virus, um, uh, particularly in the event that there is any kind of a compromise of the integrity of the epithelium. I'm using fancy words because I'm here with an esteemed pathologist. Uh, um, uh, so breaks in the skin or other uh, um, skin-like structures, uh, whether it's uh, in the rectum or otherwise, um, are uh, that involve contact with the fluids uh, from these lesions is the classic source of uh, transmission. So uh, there's no question that uh, heterosexual, you know, it, it, that that the sexual orientation in general with pox virus, and I think this is the uh, uh, type two, or I don't know if this is what they're now calling clade two, the less pathogenic of the two main branches in, po in monkeypox, um, uh, that that contact uh, with the fluid from these lesions, uh, and there there is some uh, you know the the initial reactions to by some health officials of wanting to mask etc. Some of the pathology does involve uh, can involve respiratory tract infection. Um, oh shoot, Jill, can you take this for uh, and just tell them we'll call them back. It's an important call. Um, so. Uh, uh um uh that the uh transmission uh normal route is uh not that of an S a sexually transmitted disease we we had this uh canary islands event uh the literally the world's largest gay rave party uh with about 50,000 attendees that i had documented and placed the website uh, for this event, um, seems to have been a key point of entry of this virus into the men who have sex with men population. And uh, it seems to have spread rapidly within that Canary Islands event population. There was another one also uh, about the same time. Uh, and uh, then there's functionally a diaspora from that island and that big party uh, to throughout Europe and the United States and North America, so uh, by this MSM population. So uh, it it I have seen uh, images uh, self posted of uh, uh, members of the MSM community uh, with oral lesions that are restricted to the oral uh, region, uh, and as well as of course the. Uh, um, uh, anal perirectal uh, lesions, uh, which seem to be associated uh, with uh, this particular uh, transmission um, series. Uh, I've uh, my understanding is um, upwards. I've heard various numbers up to ninety nine percent of the cases presenting in the MSM community, uh, and I've I've heard. Uh, of, you know, I think four or maybe more now cases of uh, ch uh, children 
or adolescents that uh, have close contact with that MSM community, undefined the nature of that, uh, that have become infected. Uh, um, uh, there is the uh, discussion uh, from the Portuguese group that did a lot of the early sequencing that uh, this particular strain seems to have uh, genetically, uh, I'm going to say varied, I could say drifted, but we don't have evidence that it's uh, a natural drift or uh, some other thing uh, relating to the sequence of this uh, uh, um, sub subgroup of viruses that are currently circulating. And there's been some speculation about those genetic uh, differences conferring uh, greater infectivity. The... Uh, um, uh, which raises the specul in pox viruses being double-stranded DNA viruses generally don't uh, drift um, at, at any kind of the rate that these uh, respiratory RNA viruses do. So then that raises the question whether those genetic uh, alterations um, might, uh, you know, there's speculation that they might represent uh, laboratory uh, um uh, derived uh, versus naturally evolving. Um, uh, I've I've heard no data uh, demonstrating that anything other than the uh, let's say behavior uh, practices of this MSM cohort as as being responsible for the uh, um, uh, the uh, tissue sites. Uh, where we're seeing the infection. Um, I, I've heard from frontline physicians that, uh, I forget the name of the drug, but there is an agent now, and I, we covered it in the Substack that uh, appears to result in a very strong clinical response. The CDC on its website uh, um, makes statements to the effect that this is very speculative and it's not yet known whether the agent is active. But what I'm hearing from frontline clinicians is very rapid clinical response, but that in this MSM population, uh, particularly those that have the, I'm gently saying, perineal uh, uh, infection pattern, which is a very sensitive, highly innovative region, as we all know, uh, um, that there is extreme pain associated with this uh, and that patients are being uh, um hospitalized for uh, IV pain control, uh, but uh, only in those, Jill's emphasizing, only in those patients that have the, uh, let's say, perineal uh, pattern, um, uh, not so much the oral pattern. Uh, so um, so that's, that's what I'm hearing about all that. Now, in terms of, is this money pox? Uh, um, I, I'm of the opinion that uh, Mr. Tedros's overruling uh, his uh, committee recommendations nine against six in favor on the second round after they had added apparently new people into the committee that had more direct uh, experience with this population. I'm again choosing my words um, uh, that uh, his that, you know, clearly the. Uh, his declaration that this represented a tie which he had to break is uh, absurd on, on its face. Uh, 
there was was multiple suggestions uh, in social media that uh, by uh, I think Eric uh, Ding and others that uh, there was uh, strong lobbying on the part of this MSM uh, interest group in getting this declaration made, and I suspect that that interest group had had strong. Uh, um, contributions to the decision of the uh, current executive branch, uh, whoever's running it, um, in the United States to make the decision about the declaration. Uh, there's no, uh, you, it's of interest that the sponsor of the, 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 the manufacturer of the Genios licensed product um, <clears throat> uh, wrote a letter to uh, this uh, task force that's now headed up by Bob Redfield uh um formerly cdc yeah. uh formerly u.s army um longtime aides uh bob gallo buddy um uh that uh the the uh ceo of genios uh objected uh in in raised concerns about this uh dose sparing strategy and the logic of inoculation uh interdermally with a uh one-fifth dose which is a common dose sparing strategy that the vaccine industry advocates uh, from time to time. Uh, intradermal Mantu type injections are uh, a lot trickier than the typical subdermal in injections. Uh, um, uh, there are no data uh, supporting the safety uh, or effectiveness of this route of administration to my knowledge, uh, and um, uh, in humans, and absolutely no data in children. And uh, um, important to note that the FDA has already authorized emergency use in children of this uh, live attenuated, uh, uh, it's highly attenuated product, um, but uh, the product is uh, contraindicated in individuals who are immunocompromised. And uh, as my understanding is something like 60% uh, thereabouts, don't quote me please, of the patients presenting with the monkeypox uh, from this MSM population are uh, uh, clinically have AIDS associated with the HIV. 41%, uh, 41%, I'm corrected. And 95 uh, of cases are in the same. And 95 is, 99% is Jill's quoting the latest study uh, of the of the cases presenting with uh, clinical monkeypox are MSM. Um, so uh, in terms of the thesis that uh, we have uh, a, a further exacerbation of risk uh, uh, due to immunocompromise from the mRNA products uh, or or even the J&J uh, or other advectored products. Uh, I, I think it's a, a reasonable hypothesis that does not yet have data. Um, uh, whereas the uh, um, hypothesis that uh, HIV positivity um, is correlated uh fairly strongly with, uh, um, uh, and, and my understanding is clinical AIDS uh, is, is correlated strongly with presentation uh, with uh, uh, clinical uh, 
monkeypox are requiring hospital or or medical treatment, um, uh, I I think is consistent with uh, their being an enhanced risk of uh, um, clinical disease from monkeypox exposure uh, in in people with immunocompromise. And so it's I think it's the professor's hypothesis uh, that 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 the uh, uh, mRNA inoculations, I, I, again, choosing my words, I, I, I will no longer call them uh, vaccines. They don't meet the criteria of an effective vaccine, in my opinion. Um, but they, they, there's absolutely documentation, as the professor suggests, of these products being associated with uh, a variety of different types of immunocompromise, some being specific, like the vaccine imprinting problem, uh, or the original antigenic sin problem, and other ones non-specific, uh, all the way down to the mitochondrial damage uh, um, uh, that that seems to be associated with the spike protein. So that was a lot of words. I hope I answered all those questions that you gave me so I, short, uh, quickly. <laughs> I think I think you did, and to my astonishment, you're 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 one of the few that will actually take all of the the gibberish I say in one statement and answer it. Most people pick one and hope I forget the rest, and I already have. And I think the real question is, is are we ever going to get Jill Malone on this podcast? Because she seems to be she seems to be your <laughs> she seems to be your lifeline that beams that people turn to you as the expert, but you turn to Jill. So I want to go to the source. But Dr. Hawkins, <laughs> okay. that's the end goal. That's the end. I'm at 885 episodes. I'm not sure how many more it will take, but I will get Jill Malone on here. And then that's when I'll wrap up the podcast. It's the whole thing is a psyop. Dr. Hodkinson, your thoughts on, on all of that, that Dr. Malone just said. Well, we're, we're totally in sync. Um, uh, Robert has access to much more detailed information that I have, which, I think corroborates our general assessment of this. Um, I, I was saying earlier on, Robert, um, just extending the commentary um, regarding the um, the gene therapy for COVID. Um, I was saying that just yesterday, Robert, I was on a podcast listening to Robert, uh, no, and Andy Wakefield in Britain. Yes achieved some notoriety years ago associated one is aware of this <laughs> yeah you were on it weren't you uh, yeah i i no i i i'm fully aware of uh of dr wakefield's uh um tortured history uh yeah, yeah. i choose that uh, that's that's another careful word choice yeah what 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 was really disturbing to me was um as you might you might call me an academic snot, all right? I I rejected him years ago, and along with him, um, Kennedy, this whole autism thing, I rejected it wholesale because the CDC wasn't supporting it, right? Well, I, 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 I'm, I'm in an awful situation right now. The COVID experience has resulted in me totally distrusting anything that the CDC doesn't just say now, but has said in the past, to the extent that maybe there really is a connection with autism. But beyond that, that be, yeah. just a second, beyond that, what else have they passed through with 
with trivial or suboptimal um, assessment. And that affects that fundamental thing called trust that we have in our profession for the, the people that we were previously relying upon to do these reviews. And it, it it's turning into a most tragic time for medicine, Robert. So again, it's my opportunity to say we are aligned. Um, uh, and um, I'm aware of other information relating to Dr. Wakefield's uh, position uh, that I, I cannot, I'm, I'm embargoed from discussing. But uh, my sense is that uh, there, there is much more to come that's consistent with your concerns. Uh, and uh, um, there are, you know, as if one dives into this, uh, it is an ugly story of uh, um, the the role of the CDC, suppression of information, um, uh, the uh, uh, Jill's busy. Um, yeah, so she's just pointing out uh, the recent substack we put out. Um, highlighting that there are now 81 clinical trials in progress for the mRNA vaccines, uh, and they seem to be being allowed to proceed uh, not under an EUA umbrella, but a general use umbrella, including for influenza, uh, without ever having addressed the underlying issues that we're all now sensitized to about the uh, biodistribution, the toxicology, the role of the pseudouridine, um, uh, goes on and on and on. Um, so uh, there, there seems that this is consistent with uh, the underlying kind of thesis we're talking about, which is, uh, to be blunt, the CDC not doing its job, nor is the FDA, uh, and yeah. they, their, their judgment seems to have been compromised uh, by their tight relationship uh, with the uh, vaccine uh, pharmaceutical uh, medical industrial complex, and... Uh, and it appears that that's been a long-standing thing, and uh, I, I think there is a, a reasonable chance that we're going to see um, this issue of uh, Doctor Wakefield's having been railroaded uh, yeah. come, come back at us uh, with uh, um, new uh, awareness of uh, the practices of the CDC. The I I think we're going to. I think uh, I'm asked from time to time whether I would serve in an administration that uh, um, is committed, I'm again choosing my words, committed to uh, um, uh, uh, addressing the issues that exist with the administrative state in the United States government. Uh, and uh, um, in, within HHS in one position or another, uh, it's my opinion that uh, we're now we now have to take uh, the point that Bobby has, Kennedy has been drilling home for uh, years now, which is that uh, the uh, document the the uh, clinical studies to support the safety and effectiveness of uh, much of the pediatric vaccine schedule, including the uh, vaccine-vaccine interaction issues. Yeah. Uh, just the data aren't there. Yeah. 
Yeah. And uh, this is what what uh, my friend, uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has been saying. I'm going to be with him uh, next weekend, by the way, um, up in the Northeast. Uh, what he has been saying all the way through is not uh, the statement uh, that he's attributed to of being an anti-vaxxer or statements that the vaccines aren't safe. His position has been all the way through basically uh, the show me the data uh, position. And uh, he's been trying to force that show me the data issue. And uh, as documented in his book on the real Anthony Fauci, uh, he he has pushed Tony to the point where there's been a clear, explicit acknowledgement that those data don't exist. Yeah, so, I, I, yeah, Roger, I think we are in a position where, um, as I had been warning, uh, would occur, uh, you know, back over a year ago, that if they continued down this path of of bypassing the norms, uh, um, that uh, that the entire, you know, large fraction of the public would lose faith in the vaccine enterprise. And there would be a significant blowback in compromising faith in public health. And I think we're here. I, I'd agree with you. I mean, uh, you, we're all being accused, Tommy, of fomenting vaccine hesitancy because of our, our reaction to the gene therapy with COVID. And there may well be still some vaccine out, vaccines out there that are good. We just don't know right now, given the, the doubts that are being cast on the CDC. There may well be some vaccines out there that are, that are useful, but we don't know. But the general population could well throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, vaccine hesitancy could have a terrible negative uh-huh. consequence. And it's, it's a little bit like the Democrats and the Russian hoax. You know, whenever they're accusing you of something, you can be damn sure they're doing exactly that. It's the CDC itself that is now fomenting vaccine hesitancy because of the corrupt nature with which we're now aware that they operate under. It's um, it's kind of like the concern, you know, growing up and going to uh, Catholic schools and uh, always being told that, you know, if you ever touch marijuana, uh, you know, you'll go crazy and die is, and then you, and then you get older and you, you try pot and maybe it's for you, maybe it's not, but really you kind of just fall asleep and eat a cookie. And then you start questioning other things. They said, well, if you smoke pot, you're going to go crazy. That wasn't true at all. It was actually kind of fun. They also said crystal meth is bad. So maybe they're lying about that too. And I have friends that we're 18 and they're like, well, they lied about that. What else are they lying about? I have friends that overdosed. I had friends that lost oxygen to the brain or are now mentally stunted because you have one lie forced down. You know, I'm not advocating for the youth to do drugs, but when you openly lie across the board, you do lose trust. And that I brought that up with Dr. McCullough last week is that is perhaps going to be the greatest crime of all of this is not the vaccine injuries. Well, and not I, the... I, I, I say this closing statement, you might say. Trust is the cement that holds society together. Yeah. At a family level, in a, in a business, in government, in the courts, it's trust that holds us together. Once we, stop, once we start being suspicious of everything, oh, yeah. we become paranoid and, and, dive, and so isolated. We're ripe for the picking. 
for the aspirations of the the World Economic Forum and um, all the other things that, that are in store. Right for the picking. Mm-hmm. We, we've got to stop worrying about everything that's presented to us and just get on with accepting risk as a factor of ordinary life. Well, that's actually something that uh, I believe Dr. Malone and I discussed last time was uh, it's called the rug pull theory that this isn't by accident. They want to completely erode your trust in everything because then and only then will you start to call for something other than the existing forms of uh, national governments. And that's how you replace it with it with a world government. But to Dr. Malone. Oh, I, I, oh. I, I'm letting you riff. Oh, uh, sorry. I thought, I thought. Uh, that's that, that is the, the reason for the Malone doctrine, which is yeah. all about integrity. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's the logic is, is uh, what we have is a widespread failure of institutional integrity and transparency. And it seems to be intentional now. And, and I only got, got about 10 minutes left. So I'll try to wrap up my rants. Um, as as the most qualified doctor here, I have all of the degrees, as everybody knows. So I would speak from pure wisdom and the height of the ivory tower. But it kind of seems like, in much the same way, and not my words, but from uh, you know retired special forces guys I've interviewed, that the global war on terror was the the military industrial complex buffet. It was a vague. There's a vague target, global terror. What is that? You can't ever tie an end to it. Go from Iraq, you go from Afghanistan to Iraq, doing drone strikes in Yemen. We got like a hundred special forces operations a day in like somewhere in Africa. Apparently Delta Force is operating in South America. The terrorism never stops, which is good for the people making money on it. Well, don't it... don't forget the Sandinistas. Oh, well, yeah. That, whole, that was forever. kind of a prelude. Well, it goes forever. You got to have the communists. You got to have, it doesn't matter. Nazis, Japanese, commies, China, whatever. It's going to go forever. Then it's going to be the aliens. It doesn't matter. We'll go forever. It kind of seems that if the COVID vaccine is lowering uh, the immune system capabilities of the, the average human across the planet, is this the gift that keeps on giving to the biopharmaceutical complex? Because... It's not necessarily that it's monkeypox. It's that it's like how they do burns in, in in the forest in like California, right? They do controlled burns of the undergrowth so that when a fire starts, it doesn't spread between the huge redwoods. It's just, you know, they burn it all out. So it's just dirt. So it just dies. If you let that grow, the forest fire will go forever. And that's good for, you know, big firefighting. If they're lowering the immune system just across the board, it's going to be monkeypox, and then it's going to be weaponized strep throat, and then it's going to be, you know, herpes from hell, and it's just going to go forever. And as long as you're printing the vaccines, you're making money hand over fist, and then the governments are, it's, you know, it's a perfect scenario for them because it's an ability to grab control, the naked raw pursuit of power. Will we look back in 5, 10, 20 years, not that either of you have the crystal ball, but I will always put that uh, that weight on y'all's shoulders. Are we going to look back at this and say that's where it started? It's the gift that keeps on giving because it's just going to be, we got a vaccine for that. We got emergency use author- authorization for that. We got this, we got that. The people have been conditioned to not question 
anything. It's squash or just misinformation. They'll look at Dr. Malone's face, Dr. Hodkinson's face. And as long as you guys are opposed to it, the average person will be for it because you guys are evil. <laughs> Dr. Malone, your thoughts on that? Will, is this the gift that keeps on giving? And should I just start investing in Pfizer and stop complaining? <laughs> is that, do I just got to go full black pill and cash? Uh, it is. So I, I don't want to chew up too much time because I want to hear what Roger has to say. Um, but uh, it is uh, notable that uh, Mr. Boria, had, uh, CEO of Pfizer, is now infected. And he used that basically as a marketing opportunity to promote uh, the uh, drug uh agent that he has, uh, which is uh, clearly not effective and uh, is resulting in more prolonged periods of viremia and shedding and infectivity. Uh, um, And uh, without batting an eyelid about the fact that uh, his vaccine product is not uh, effective, otherwise he wouldn't have been infected. So I you the underlying thesis that you're touching on is this tension of between uh in whether there's preconceived intention to uh um enable a product that has these uh really uh um unfortunate adverse events uh and um to imagine that uh, the likes of Pfizer and Moderna uh, had had so much knowledge and wisdom about the human immune system that they, uh, by preconception, uh, uh, developed these agents uh, um, uh, that uh, that that have this unfortunate adverse event. Uh, uh, it 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 I I can't go there. I I don't see them as uh, that uh, informed uh, in terms of biology. Mm-hmm. I, I see a rushed uh, system uh, driven uh, in part by the intelligence community uh, uh, for deployment, and um, that that uh, had. Uh, a number of adverse events, which I, I, I personally have to believe they did not foresee. And, and I, uh, um, but that doesn't excuse the uh, deployment now of next generation products and the broadening of the application of the product. uh, Now that we know those signals exist Uh, that, that just seems to be flat out uh, financial opportunism. Uh, combined with regulatory capture. So I, I'm kind of, Tommy, in the camp these days, having, as you know, spent the better part of two years now chasing this, uh, uh, I don't know if it's the right metaphor, chasing this dragon. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm now of the, oper- of the persuasion that uh, there is, there is emergent phenomena having to do with a variety of different actors interacting in a system basis uh, that has given rise to much of this and that it was the opportunity has then been exploited uh, by a variety of actors uh, to further their interests. Uh, And, and um, that uh, the genesis of the, of the pathogen, which is really not that pathogenic, uh, is uh uh the data are very strong 
that it uh, involves uh, gain-of-function research in the laboratory that gave rise to it, uh, how it escaped um, and the cascade of events uh, in the fourth quarter of 2019, I think is un unresolved and probably will never be resolved. Uh, the um, cascade of events since that point uh, I'm just getting ready, ready to write a, another chapter in the book um, that the uh, interface between the Scott Atlas book and the Deborah Burks book and some of the other things uh, in my own personal experiences with the IC uh, right around January 4th, all point to the U.S. intelligence community having had um, some very, very early awareness of uh, the emergence of this pathogen into the population sometime uh, in the September, October, November timeframe, which paradoxically coincides exactly with event 201. Um, uh, and then uh, they appear to have reacted very strongly, almost overreacted, almost like a panic uh, around January 3rd and 4th, uh, and then uh, pushed, um, a series of egregiously uh, counterproductive uh, measures like masking, lockdowns, et cetera, that strongly damaged the economy based on the logic that they were being effective in China. And this, uh, this uh, I'm going to name this name, Matthew Pottinger, oh, yeah. uh, who's working directly with Deborah Burks. Uh, and I'm, I'm trying to, uh, you know, the call I just received was from Steve Bannon, who's a friend of his. Uh, uh, that that Jill had to take. So that's that's where I'm at. Is is uh, is trying to track down those events that occurred between January third and uh, let's say March of 2020 uh, that gave rise to uh, this cascade that that clearly uh, was not aligned with the uh, pre-existing. Uh, agreements both at WHO and USHHS about how to manage a uh, a pandemic outbreak of a uh, RNA respiratory virus. Um, so that's where I stand is, is it's the, I think there's some uh, kind of organic emergent phenomena going on here and then uh, subsequent exploitation uh, uh, by a number of actors. Um, and with that, I'll, I'll shut up and let Roger uh, share his point of view. Um, Tommy, um, I wouldn't invest in Pfizer if I were you. There's rumors okay. that the life insurance companies are, are going to sue their pants off. Right. And uh, that so might not be a life insurance. insurance. <laughs> I've, I've... Um, I, would, I would end on a note of optimism. I think it is going to get worse before it gets better. Um, but remember Napoleon's famous adage, never stop your opponent from screwing up. It makes them easier to beat. Yeah. Um, it's my opinion that when the dust settles from COVID and the investigative journalists write the definitive autopsy with bullet format, lay language, there's going to be a revulsion in the general population, the scale of which we can't imagine. And I believe that sets the stage, stage for a new era in politics based upon those traditional values that we're all familiar with, religion, trust, hard work, family, etc., etc., I think 
old politics is dead. I think the general population are going to get wind of that. And it creates an enormous opportunity, not just for Trump, but for jurisdictions elsewhere, such as Alberta, for example, where you may be unaware, there's an absolutely vibrant um, move now to declare independence from Canada. That's awesome. And that could be a beacon for the rest of the world. You know, remember it all started here in Alberta, the truckers' convoy yeah. morphed internationally. Yeah. Uh, it's now energized the rural community in Alberta like you would not believe. Uh, you can cut the anger with a knife out there. And if Alberta declares independence in three years, which I believe is quite likely, um, we could be the beacon for the rest of the world as to how to define the new era of democracy, which I'm calling Magna Carta II. And and don't forget, I mean, what, just last week, Joe Kent won in Washington State. I mean, he was in... in I was he, wondering if you were going to bring that up. I, I, well, I mean, you know, I was, he's, he's really like the only candidate I've ever gone out of my way to have on here. I think he's a great guy. I think his story is inspiring. And he doesn't... Mostly because like Dr. Malone and Dr. Hodkinson, he came on my podcast back when I had like a hundred subscribers and I was like, that's cool. And uh, he's come on several times, but he won in Hippieville, USA. And to me, that was, you know, Anthony Sabatini is going to win in Florida, but he's in Florida. It's of course he's going to win. But you look at Joe Kent, this tatted up Green Beret, you know, pro Trump did an interview with Dr. Malone anti-world economic forum you know calls out john bolton every day the fact that he won to me that's like oh oh wow i mean in washington state like that's where like Chaz was right or chad that 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 communist like forward operating base he won there and to me that and then i saw dr malone retweeted or put it on getter and i was like oh my god so i think you might be right dr hodkinson i think it might be birthing something new and obviously we won't see it because the news isn't going to cover it yeah um, we we we've got the number of um of klaus schwab and the wef they've overplayed their hand yeah and now instead of it being called the great reset i think it's better termed the great reject a hundred a hundred percent and uh as and i kind of on a on a closing note i think uh you will find this funny. Uh, earlier in the year, I was at a, a social event with a lot of people I didn't know. And whenever someone says, oh, I watch your podcast, I always kind of take a step back because I don't know if it's I love it or it's like you're a Nazi. But uh, someone came up to like, I like it, man. You got a lot of interesting guests. So I was like, oh, cool. Thanks. And they go. But just so you know, uh, it is debate. It is disputed whether or not uh, Dr. Blown actually holds any patents. And I was like, dude, I'm. <laughs> I was like, dude, I'm. I'm here. To, I'm just here to drink and and unsuccessfully talk to girls. Like, I'm not trying to do this. And we're like in the middle of a kitchen. He's like, no, I just want to show you because like if you actually look this up. And I was like, dude, I don't. I don't. Yes, he does. He does hold the patents. But so I guess I'm going down with you guys. And uh, on a final comment, Dr. Malone, if if anybody watching this, if you kind of squint. You and that lion are looking more and more alike <laughs> with the mane. I realized my eyes are terrible, but I was looking at it earlier. And I was like, he is. He's looking more and more like a lion. So on a completely unprofessional note, Dr. Malone, you look like a lion, and I think that's badass. Uh, Jill Malone is the smartest person in this room, even though no one can see her. And Dr. Hodkinson, the head of the Ottawa Trucker Militia, obviously I love you as well, both of you. 
Thank you so much. I'll put all the information in the description. Go check out Dr. Malone's Substack. Dr. Malone, I also believe your book, Lies the Government, My Government Told Me, is coming out in October. Is that correct? Yeah, I, that's what I'm trying to do this week is get the last edits done. Um, and it's a challenge because the data keep coming in. I mean, it's amazing. I think you just need to do a role. Well, what are you doing wasting time on podcasts? You should be, that's very unprofessional of you. You should be putting your nose to the grindstone and not being tempted by podcasts like this. I, I'm very ashamed of you, but um, both but of when, you. When Tommy, when Tommy rings, uh, we say yes. That's <laughs> well, that means the world. That's, that's the conspiracy I love the most is I don't think Tommy's podcast is organic. He has on Dr. Malone too many times. This is the one I heard. Sorry. We'll wrap it up. This is my new favorite one. Uh, Tommy is a CIA because of his connections to Dr. Malone and Joe Kent. And I have married you two together and you helped put him in the office. So I think it's flattering that people think I'm capable of being a central intelligence agency operative. And uh, yeah, so that's my new favorite conspiracy. But, uh, <laughs> well, uh, my, my former friends in the CIA uh, would dispute that thesis, I suspect. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? I'm going to fan the flames. Anything to get some subscribers to this thing. I am CIA. You heard it here first. I'm doing this podcast from Langley. Dr. Malone is actually in the other room. And uh, that's how it all goes down. Thank you so much. God bless you both. You're both awesome. Stay safe, everybody. God bless. Love each other.